This morning I'm continuing this series that we're beginning for a new year, a series that I'm calling All In and talking about the ways in which we are called by God to be all in with our life of faith together. And even though we say that in ways that sounds like in this new year, like it's a, a New Year's resolution, this is what I'm going to do now in this new year. We, we began last week by looking at an example from the Old Testament of someone who, well, had some ups and downs with the example of Abram, right? Uh, that Abram's life of faith, even though he's counted as being all in, looked like a life that was more like two steps forward, one step back. Two more steps forward and another step back, right? That this somehow is evidenced in these people we see in the Old Testament. And we noted something last week. We noted in the life of Abram that, that when God's call came to him in Genesis 12, Abram, here's what I want you to do. Pack up your family, pack up everything, and go to this land I'm going to show you. The only thing Genesis told us in response was, so Abram went. We don't know the conversation we don't know the thought process going on in Abram's mind. We speculated on some of that last week. So today we're moving to another example, Moses. And we're going to consider again what this faith that follows God looks like in the life of Moses. This time, the story's different. Because this time, when God comes to call Moses, we, give a, we get a front row seat to the conversation. It's not a simple, and Moses went. It didn't go like that. There was a long conversation back and forth between God and Moses in which Moses said, no thanks. I'm not really up for this. Go find somebody else. I'm not going to read it. That takes up two chapters, right? It starts in Exodus 3 and it goes all the way through Exodus 4. We're not going to read all of that today. I'm just going to catch us up to the last piece of that at the end and then jump us forward to Exodus 33. You've got both of those printed in your bulletin. Let me give the surrounding context for where this passage in Exodus 4 comes from, though, okay? So this is the burning bush scene. Moses is tending the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. He's out in the Sinai wilderness by Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb. And God comes to him in the form of a burning bush that doesn't burn up. It just keeps burning on fire. Moses goes to the bush because he knows there's something unusual happening here. That's where God speaks to him. God speaks to Moses from there. God tells Moses, Moses, this is what I want you to do. Go back to Egypt, go back to the Pharaoh, and bring my people, the people of Israel, out. Moses responds with every excuse he can think of to get out of this. Where I'm picking it up at verse 10 in chapter 4, he's already given three excuses by the time this comes. Right? His first excuse is, but I'm nobody. Send somebody else because I'm nobody. His second excuse that he gives is, but God, I don't know who you are. I don't know you at all. You've never revealed yourself to me before. That's his second excuse. His third excuse then is, but what if the people there don't believe me? The people there won't listen to me. So you should send somebody else who they'll believe and who they'll listen to. He's giving all the excuses and now we're picking it up here in verse 10 with his fourth excuse about the way that he speaks, all right? So, Exodus 4, I'm beginning at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, 
Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Trying everything he can to get out of that. Now I'm jumping ahead. This is from Exodus 33. Many events take place between this. Moses does go, confronts the Pharaoh. Plagues happen. He leads the people out. The Red Sea parts. They go into the wilderness. They go to Mount Sinai. They're receiving the law of God there. And now a conversation in which things are turned, reversed a bit. Because as they're going to leave Mount Sinai, this is where the people of Israel then make a golden calf and bow down to an idol. And God must forgive them for that. God says to Moses at first, Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm done with them. I'm going to leave this whole thing behind. This is Moses' reply to that. Exodus 33, beginning at verse 14. The Lord replied to Moses, My, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's a you singular. He's talking just to Moses. Then Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. A story of faith that involves calling then, that God calls Moses, and in that calling Moses, we see something of a progression, right? We, we see the life of an individual who at first said, no thanks, I want nothing to do with this, I'm out. But then, later on, we find this other example where the situation is flipped, flipped entirely. Because at this point, it's God who's looking for a way out. And it's Moses is the one who says, nope, you have to stay. We have to keep going on this journey. So what happens? What happens between Exodus 4 and Exodus 33 that has changed and impacted the faith of Moses? That the story changes like that. Let's consider what that looks like today, right? So first of all, Moses. Maybe if you know the story of Moses, you can know and see and tell that Moses has been prepared by God for this very moment from the day of his birth. That Moses was called and set apart by God from day one. Because when Moses was born, it was at a time when Pharaoh was trying to reduce the number of the Israelites so that he could keep control over them as a slave population. So what he did during that time was he gave a command that all of the baby boys that were born to the Israelite slaves had to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned and killed. But Moses was spared from that. He was rescued from that. 
Not only was he spared from that, but he was brought to live within the household of the Pharaoh by one of Pharaoh's daughters. So Moses grew up in the household of the Pharaoh. He knew the protocols of how you interact with the royalty of that time. He had that on his resume going into this when God called him to go to the Pharaoh. Beyond that, that was the first 40 years of Moses' life. Then something happens where Moses has to run for his life, flee Egypt, and he spends the next 40 years wandering in the Sinai wilderness, tending sheep for his father-in-law Jethro. So he learns all about this wilderness around Sinai and how to lead a wandering flock through this wilderness. God calls him then to go back to Egypt and take his people so that they can go and be led through this Sinai wilderness. He's got that on his resume. God has given Moses the exact resume he needed for this task that he's now being called to. But Moses is finding every excuse to say, you've got the wrong guy. There couldn't be a more perfect guy set aside by God to do this than Moses. But still he's looking for an out. His final excuse that he gives there that we read about today in in Exodus 4, I think that sums it up. We can see that, you know what, all those other things, they were shallow excuses that didn't really apply. But the last thing he says, okay, that reveals his heart. God, pardon your servant. Please, Send someone else. Read between the lines there. Moses is saying, I just don't want to do this. I don't want anything with this. I don't want anything to be with a part of those people, and I don't want anything to be a part of what you're doing with them. Leave me out of it. That's where Moses is at. Moses. This guy that we're looking at is an example of all-in faith. It's a guy who, from the start, said, leave me out. Find another one. Call somebody else. I don't want a part of this. Moses is not able to envision what this journey of faith is going to mean for him. I mean, we know the story, right? If you've read through the Bible, we know what happens. We know how God uses Moses. We know about the plagues that come and the people that are then freed from slavery. We know about the Red Sea parting and the people walking through. We know about the law of God, the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments that comes down with Moses. We know further in the New Testament the story of the transfiguration of Jesus when Jesus is given that glimpse of glory to his disciples that the two people that appear with Jesus in that moment of rapturous glory are Elijah and Moses. Moses becomes a legend for the people of Israel. He is the standard that all others measure up to. That's where Moses is going, but he does not see that one bit in Exodus 4, does he? He cannot envision that in any way at all. The only thing he knows is, I want nothing to do with this. Let me out of it. Find another person. Find another way. How do we make sense of that? How do we come to a place of being able to recognize where his faith turns? 
how he changes through that. How he then comes to a place where he's able to see that God has so much more for him. Exodus 33 gives us another picture of that, doesn't it? Here's where that conversation flips, where it's reversed. It's reversed in the sense of in Exodus 4, you notice, Moses is saying, God, leave me out of this. To Exodus 33, where he says, God, don't you dare leave this. He goes from, I want nothing to do with this, to God, you better stay in and have everything to do with this. How does that work? How does he change like that? How does his life go from leave me out to don't you dare leave? You see, the the reluctance and the refusal of Moses to commit to God's calling back in chapter 4 somehow melts and gives way to this unwavering commitment to God's calling that we see in chapter 33. What changes to bring Moses there? What do we see as a difference there? All right, before we get to that, hang on to that one for a minute, okay? Because before we get into that and noticing the differences, let's just think for a moment about where our life of faith, our journey of faith, maybe find some touch points with the life and the faith of Moses. I know that's a tall order because we're separated by so many centuries and we're separated by so much difference in in culture and who we are and how we live. And we're separated by a fact that Moses was especially set aside for this special task by God. But let's consider that life of faith of Moses in ways that maybe show us something about faith in our own lives in who we are, in how we live, consider what that might look like, right? Moses did not want this path that was placed in front of him. He had to learn how to navigate through that as he went along through. We may face things like that too. We may face in our own lives events and situations where a path is placed in front of us to which our first reaction might be, I'd rather have nothing to do with this. Leave me out of it. You know what, if this is going to be what following in steps of faith looks like, then find somebody else. Don't make me a part of that we might find events like that in our lives too. You see, because I think in the life of Moses, first of all, you recognize that he didn't exactly ask for any of this, did he? God spared his life when all of the other boys in in Israel were being taken and killed. God did that. God was the one who arranged for him to be raised within the household of the Pharaoh. God is the one who prepared Moses for this. Moses didn't ask for that. Moses, when events unfolded where he had to flee for his life and run away from Egypt and spend time in the Sinai wilderness, Moses did not arrange that. He was simply reacting to the events going on around him, but he didn't ask for it to go that way. It's not like he had this master plan in mind of, here's where I'm going when and this is how it's all going to come together. Moses did not ask for that path but it was the path placed in front of him. 
I think when we come down to it and we start thinking about and analyzing and and thinking about that path of faith of life that comes in front of us, there may be moments, there are moments, where our path, our steps in front of us are steps that we did not ask for, that maybe weren't a part of our plan. Navigating through some steps of life that we were not looking to do. Navigating through times of loss, times of loss of a loved one. Navigating through broken relationships or families. Navigating through finding a different job or a new career. Navigating through retirement and what that means to fill my time with other things. Navigating through caring for family or loved ones who may be experiencing struggling or declining health. Navigating through transitions. Transitions for, if you're a student, some of you, what it means to go from elementary school to middle school, or from middle school to high school, or from high school to whatever's next, college or a job, career. Navigating through some of those life events of my children are grown and now it's an empty nest and what do I do to fill my time from here forward? Life for every single one of us presents paths before us that we navigate and sometimes those steps are not steps that we were looking for or asked for or wanted, but they're there. They're there in front of us. And sometimes, hear this now, sometimes, like Moses, we look at those steps, especially the steps we weren't looking for, we look at those steps and we think, but my faith has nothing to do with this. This is not a a moment of faith for me. This is just enduring transition or making my way through hardship or, or finding a navigation through struggle. But it's not always embraced as a moment of faith. Now, don't misunderstand me on this. Don't misunderstand me to the point where you would think that God sends tragedy like that because God is not the source of anything that is sinful or broken. But here's what we do profess. We profess that even in a world in which we are broken and sinful people, that God is powerful enough to step into our brokenness and still guide our steps of faith in and through that with us. Moses did not see that in chapter 4, but he sure saw it by the time we get to chapter 33. Something changed. Something was different. So for those steps of faith that we face in our lives, for those paths that are before us in which we may be wondering, how am I going to take that next step? And where does that go? And God, you know, really, I want nothing to do with this at all. How do we find ways to step in learning as Moses did to take those steps a little bit differently? in ways that acknowledge God is there. So what's different? What's different about this? I want to note just one feature. One feature that we can see as the major difference between Exodus 4 and Exodus 33 when we think about faith for Moses. That first of all, here's what we see. We see that 
in the life of faith that Moses lives that he is, first of all, focused on himself in Exodus 4. When you see in Exodus 4 that picture of Moses, what you see is Moses focused on himself. You notice that? Look at all the excuses that he gives there. Everything is about himself. It's all I, 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 me, me, me. But God, who am I? I'm nobody. God, I don't know who you are. God, they won't listen to me. God, I am not eloquent and I can't speak well. Everything that Moses is about in Exodus 4 is just me, me, me. His faith is entirely broken up by that. Short-circuited. Ineffectual. Because all he can think about, all he can focus on is himself. What's in it for me, but where do I go? But how does this impact me and my life? That his faith is all about that. But do you notice that when we flip through to get to Exodus 33, that the focus of Moses and his faith is no longer about himself, but now, now his focus is entirely upon God. That Moses is now focused on God. In fact, to the point where he says to God, God, this thing that you're doing here, you know what? If you're not a part of this every single step of the way, then we can't even take one more step forward. You see how that works? Because when Moses is thinking about his own faith in his own life, back in Exodus 4, and it's all about him. The only thing that he can think about and envision is, but my steps and my life and my faith and what it means for me and what I get out of it. That's all he can think about. But in Exodus 33, the only thing that he can think about is what God is doing, right? Where God fits into this. In fact, his own life and his own faith really have nothing to do with this anymore. But it's entirely about what God is doing and where God is leading and what God is showing them, where God is taking them. The focus of his faith transitions. It shifts from being all about him to being all about God, to being only about him, to being only about God in that sense. How do we take something like that for us today? Recognizing that, you know, we, we profess in this church that faith is a gift from God. It is a gift from God that is planted in our hearts. God plants the seed of faith within us. God grows that seed of faith. He planted that seed of faith in Moses. And we see the extent in the story of Moses how that seed had to bloom and grow and blossom through the events of Moses' life. We have a seed of faith planted within us as well. A seed of faith which, like Moses, can bloom, grow, blossom. We see that in Moses in a transition to where it becomes a transition that began with all about himself to being all about God. We can see that in our own lives too. Let me give one other example, one other example that comes from the New Testament of something which follows this same pattern. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus that followed Jesus, Peter, who 
followed Jesus in a life of faith, in fact, dedicated himself to Jesus to say, Jesus, I will go wherever you go, even to death I will go with you. But if you know the story through the Gospels, there's a moment after Jesus is arrested and he's brought in the middle of the night to face a mock trial in front of the high priest. Peter is standing away out in the courtyard, just keeping an eye from a distance. And people there start to recognize Peter. Peter then denies anything to do with Jesus. Peter says, I don't even know who this guy is. This guy has nothing to do with me. I've never met him. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times the conversation is I, I, I. Me, me, me. Right? That Peter is caught in a moment where his faith surrenders because it becomes all about him. Fast forward a little bit. Jesus is crucified and then raised again from the dead. And then as the disciples are up north in the region of Galilee, Jesus comes to them one day while they're out fishing and pulls them aside and has breakfast with them. Out of that conversation in John chapter 21, Jesus pulls Peter aside and has this conversation with Peter, okay? John 21, I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. Words are up here. He says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Reminiscent of the three times that Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, talking about that path in front. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter now here, still trying to grab onto this, right? Still not getting that it's all about God. Verse 20 says this, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned his back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Uh, That's John's way of saying it was him without naming himself in that. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, a seed of faith that is planted and then grows and blooms. Peter was figuring that out. He was beginning to learn this along the way. Because each time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? He follows it up with another command. Follow me. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Peter, stop making this path of faith all about 
you. But see the path of faith that is in front of you, which is all about God and where God leads and what God is doing. Wonder how we may be able to take some steps toward that. Maybe even in this week, right? So in in your time of devotion that you would have this week, Maybe it's a place where we can begin to pray that prayer. A prayer like Moses said in Exodus 33. A prayer that as we look at what you have in the week before you, the steps that are there to take, where we can pray in faith like Moses prayed in Exodus 33. God, if your presence does not go with me, then don't even let me take that step. Don't even let me go there. Because God, I can't even imagine what it's like to walk through life anymore unless you are there with me every single step of the way. That we follow God like that, with that kind of faith. God calls us to a faith which focuses less and less on ourselves and more and more on following him. That we can learn something from Moses about that. So may the steps of our faith that are taken be done with assurance that we are intent on following Jesus where he's leading. That we embrace the faith that he has planted within us and centers that faith on a direction which follows him. And that we can take comfort then in knowing that our lives are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus as we take steps to follow him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and the way you reveal yourself to us. Lord, we have to confess today that we, like Moses, have had those moments where we have made our life of faith somehow all about us, all about me. We've lost sight at times of following you in ways which casts our vision entirely upon where you are leading, what you are doing. Lord, forgive us for that. And then center us again. Center us again in your word so that we may live as people of faith where we may follow you with a direction and a commitment that looks only to you and what you are doing and where you are going. Lord, help us to do that in ways which honor and glorify you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.